We have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Please be seated. Good morning. This is the second Sunday of Easter, and on this Sunday I would have been here at Christ Church Waco to do confirmations. Uh, however, uh, these are not normal times. Uh, we're one day closer to returning to those things that are precious to us, gathering together, celebrating those sacraments together as the church. Uh, and I look forward to that time when I can return and we can celebrate those confirmations. Options are usually a good thing. As Americans, we're all about options. Our cars come in eight or ten different colors, different interior packages you can choose from. Cable TV has 700 stations to pick from. Most restaurants you go to, or when you can go to them, will have two to three, maybe five pages of different menu options. We love to have options. Even in the Anglican Church, there are optional types of services on Sunday. Uh, we have two different options in the 2019 prayer book, for example. But not everything is optional. As we continue our season of Easter celebrations, there are some circles in the church where the discussion has been, do you really have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus to be a Christian? So we take the Nicene Creed. It's about 40 faith statements, plus or minus. How many of those are optional for us as Christians? Is belief in the risen Lord optional for Christians? My first response is, do you have to believe in science to be a scientist? Or do you have to believe in law to be a lawyer? Or math to be a mathematician? There are certain things about the Christian faith that are not optional. We read today about two of Jesus' resurrection appearances to his disciples. And this reading from John's Gospel is truly full of meaning and application for us as Christians. We're told that the disciples were locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. They're literally cowing, cowering in fear of the authorities. They're associated with Jesus, and we know what the authorities did to him. They have every reason to be afraid, so they're hidden behind locked doors. Think back with me, though, to the first lesson we read from the book of Acts. It's only 50 days later, and we find Peter boldly standing on the temple steps and preaching the gospel with authority and courage. What had changed? Jesus rose from the dead. And have you ever wondered, where was Thomas that first resurrection night? Had he snuck out to find some food? Was he, have you ever wondered, was he maybe hiding in another place? Or did he just need to grieve alone? Some of us are like that. One lesson I think we can take from this is that the best place to encounter the risen Lord is in the midst of his disciples. And that's what makes this stay-at-home lockdown so difficult, is it's hard for us to gather as Christians, something we know is, is what God wants from us. It is the best way to encounter the risen Lord in the midst of his church gathered. And that's what happened on that first Easter night, and then eight days later, as we read. The nature of the resurrection of Jesus is clear in this story from John's Gospel. Through the centuries, people have tried to argue that the disciples simply had a mass hallucination triggered by the stress of these events. Others have said it was just a spiritual resurrection, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, appeared to them to make them feel a little bit better about what had happened. When we read this story, we're confronted with what really happened. Jesus, in bodily form, stood in the midst of his disciples. He showed them his wounds. They touched, they talked, they ate together. Jesus was physically present in their midst. 
While the story in John's Gospel is captivating, it also has a lot to say about who we are and what we are about. In the upper room, as Jesus breathes on them, he's beginning the work of creating his church. And from the passage, there are certain qualities or marks of the church that I think he, he expects from us. When Jesus establishes his church, he does so by making us a sent people. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. The very nature of Christianity, the DNA of who we are as the church, is missionary. The Great Commission is not optional. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are called by Jesus into that mission field which is the world. The only difference for each of us is what field does God want us sowing these seeds in? For some of us, we're called to share the gospel in different countries and different cultures. But for most of us, we are sent by Jesus into our homes, our neighborhoods, our offices and schools when they open back up as ambassadors of Christ and heralds of his gospel. We don't need a decade of evangelism or some kind of magic 2020 church program to do what we ought to be doing naturally. If we believe in the resurrection, if we've been baptized into the household of God, if we've been filled by the life-giving Holy Spirit, then we are sent. We're sent with the commission of sharing the good news of God in Christ, both in word and in deed. And it ought to come natural to us. And the more we understand what Jesus has done for us, the more passionate we are about sharing it with others. It should come naturally out of us. You and I are just as empowered to share the gospel as was St. Peter or St. Paul or Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. The question is, what do we do? Do we want to remain cowering behind closed doors or will we stay next to Peter on the steps of the temple and shout from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Sharing the gospel, being a missionary community is what we are to be about. Even in our stay-at-home situation, we can find ways to demonstrate the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. But Jesus also makes his church, makes us a forgiving people. Jesus empowers the apostles to set up the opportunity for forgiveness through the sacramental ministry of the church. What happened in the upper room was that they were given authority to be bishops of the church. What happened on Pentecost was that they were given the power to be bishops in the church. What the risen Lord did was give to the church through his atoning work on the cross the power to absolve sinners who come before the altar of God with penitent hearts. That's what happens in the sacramental confession as well as the corporate confession we offer here on Sunday mornings in the Eucharist. Peter reminds us that all baptized members of Christ are a royal priesthood. So the necessity to offer forgiveness when someone sins against us and repents is not optional. Jesus makes that clear in his teaching as well. Offering forgiveness is what we're to be about. Jesus also makes his church, and by extension us, a believing people, a community of faith. Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. What we do around here at Christ Church, from Sunday school to outreach to Bible study to worship, is about creating an environment where people can both belong and just as importantly, believe. Even John the Evangelist makes the point that he's written all of this in his gospel so that we might have the opportunity to believe in Jesus and in believing gain eternal life in his name. That goes back to the original question, doesn't it? Does one have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus to be a Christian? Christianity is about faith. It is about believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to lead us 
into eternal life through forgiveness of sins. So belief is not optional. Being a community of faith is what we are to be about. St. Paul says in Romans 10, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. There are a lot of options out there about what we might want to believe, but once we choose to be Christian, certain things are required. In about 30 seconds, we're going to begin the Nicene Creed, and I invite you to believe what it is you're saying, to trust in those words, to embrace that faith, that ancient faith that we have received. May God lead each of us into a deeper understanding that our Lord now lives, and because of this, we too can live. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.